I knew that the shards of I Love Lucy that we see, uh, they needed to be in Lucy's head. We needed to see that she is a comedic chess master uh, who, whether it's at a table read or being pitched something in the writer's room or rehearsal, she can see 12 moves ahead. She can see if this joke is going to work. How is it going to play on Friday uh, in front of an audience? And she'll ask logic questions. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In today's episode, America's favorite television couple faces a crisis in director Aaron Sorkin's biographical drama, Being the Ricardos. The film revisits the story of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, as their complex relationship is threatened by shocking personal accusations, a political smear, and cultural taboos during one critical production week of their groundbreaking sitcom, I Love Lucy. In addition to being the Ricardos, Mr. Sorkin's other directorial credits include the DGA Award-nominated feature films The Trial of the Chicago 7 and Molly's Game. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Sorkin shares insight into the making of being the Ricardos with fellow director David O. Russell. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. In case you didn't know, I just want to tell you who Aaron Sorkin is because I like this because I think uh, people should remember. This is the third film he's directed. He directed Molly's Game in 2017, which was a terrific picture. In 2020, he directed The Trial of the Chicago 7. And uh, this year, I feel a directorial peak uh, that can be maintained, uh, being the Ricardos. He also wrote A Few Good Men, Malice, The American President, Sports Night, The West Wing, Studio Six, Young Sunset Strip, Charlie Wilson's War, The Social Network, Ding, Oscar, uh, Moneyball, The Newsroom, Steve Jobs. He's, he's been nominated and won many, many things, and he's one of the best writers in town who has a very singular voice, Aaron Sorkin, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> Thank you very much. And I just want to say real quick, uh, before I dive into this picture, which I adore, uh, his uh, DP was Jeff Cronowitz, since we're at the Guild, editor Alan Baumgarten, who worked on a movie with me, who's tremendous, and your team, your team of your ADs was Eric Heffron, was your first AD? Yeah. And have you, has he worked with you on other pictures? No, this was the first time, but I don't want to work with anyone else now. There you go. That's how we get the marriage going. Christopher Sadler, second AD. Yeah, it's great. And who was your UPM? Uh, Stuart Besser, um, uh, who this I've worked with on all three of the movies that I directed, and this is a man who uh, just throws his body in between problems and you. 39-day shoot. Yeah, Because the writer is so good. I'm not kidding. It's, I mean, in this movie, to me, everything happens on that set. Every, everything that can happen, the humanity of each character is vast. It's almost like all of America in a crucible. Tell us how this picture came to you with Todd Black. Sure. Uh, well, it started with Todd Black, uh, who called me into his office and asked me if I'd like to write a f- movie about uh, Lucille Ball and, and Desi Arnaz. And... All he told me at that first meeting was, uh, did you know that Lucille Ball was accused of being a communist? And I didn't. 
so I just, I left the meeting and I kind of asked, I want to see if I was the only one who didn't know that Lucille Ball had been accused of being a communist. And I wasn't. Other people didn't know that too. But it would take about a year and a half for, it, it takes me a while to say, to commit to writing a movie. It's a, it's a very big commitment for me. Uh, I'm not a speedster. I, I, I don't write quickly. I do live and die uh, with these things. Uh, so it, it took me a while to get there. But once I got there, I was, uh, I was very excited to do it. I had this, I didn't want to do a biopic. I think that it's very hard to, uh, to shake the biopic structure that audiences have become familiar with, the cradle to grave structure of this happened and this happened and this happened kind of like a uh, greatest hits album. But I got this idea that um, I I like compressed spaces. I like compressed periods of time. And I thought, what if you can tell this story just using a production week of I Love Lucy, Monday table, read to Friday, audience taping. Uh, And uh, that's what I committed to. Now, you did not, you were not originally going to direct this film, were you? No, I have not yet. As you said, I've directed the last three uh, films that I've written, but I have not yet written a screenplay knowing that I was going to be the director of it. It's come as a surprise uh, each time. <laughs> uh, so no, I was uh, not uh, originally the director. I believe, David, um, that uh, we asked you. Yeah. To, to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a great privilege. And, and I read the script many times. And the only other time this happened to me was with Fight Club, where I didn't really get the script. And then I saw the movie and I said, oh, Oh yeah. Now I get it. Yeah, really. That's 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 really really good. But you did it more perfect. You did it so perfect. I mean, I just want to gush about the movie for a second, okay? So, first he captivates us with these old writers who I knew one who died a couple of years ago, uh Bob Schiller, uh who's a friend of the family, uh who was a Lucy writer. His whole house was a Lucy shrine. And these writers very quickly and deftly as you do established very quickly and deftly, this show was a phenomenon unlike any other. It, it, the water usage would go down. Was it Monday nights? On Monday nights at 9 o'clock, yeah. The water usage would go down. People weren't using their bathrooms. They weren't washing the dishes. They, they weren't doing anything but watching I Love Lucy. And many years later when we were kids, we were watching the reruns every day. Right. Yeah. It was impossible to, uh, uh, to avoid. Uh, you know, uh, I think yeah, I would be homesick from school, and I think I'd watch four I Love Lucy. I was watching I Love Lucy when John Kennedy was killed. Oh, is that right? I was five years old. I was in bed, and I said, wow. I went to see my father in the bathroom, and he said uh, he was shaving for work, and he said, well, get back in bed. I said, no, I Love Lucy's not on. He said, yes, it is. I said, no, because this president was shot. And he said, no, it is. that's not true. And he came and he said, oh, my God. And so that was what happened in our house wow. during I Love Lucy. So it's an iconic show. How did you pick episode 37? Which is brilliant. Ethel and uh, Fred fight, uh, episode 37. Yeah. Um, uh, I read a lot of uh, I Love Lucy scripts. And I uh, listen, I, I knew that the shards of I Love Lucy that we see uh, uh, throughout the film, that the, uh, they needed to be in Lucy's head. They needed to come out of her head. We needed to see that she is a comedic chess master uh, who, whether it's at a table read or being pitched something in the writer's room or rehearsal, she can see 12 moves ahead. She can see if this joke is going to work. How is it going to play on Friday uh, in front of an audience? And she'll ask logic questions. And I chose Ethel and Fred fight because um, I found in there the most opportunities for Lucy to say why. Uh, uh, you know, why, for instance, you know, the 
the opening with the hands over the eyes and uh, uh, guess who. Uh, so I wanted Lucy pressing on those logic questions. And that episode uh, gave me a lot of opportunities to do that. And as she says so brilliantly, the building blocks of drama are all on this table. And yeah. she obsesses over the table because she's a comedic genius. And she has a director, I'm sorry to say at the DGA, who she thought did not understand physical comedy. This guy Glasser, right? That's right. His uh, and I, I, I made him up because I didn't want to slag any of the actual directors of good I Love Lucy yeah, who are very talented. Um, so uh, Christopher Denham plays Donald Glass, um, who, as Lucy says, uh, you know, we've done 37 episodes. You do 37 of anything, and one of them is going to be your 37th best. Ours was directed by Donald Glass. Um, uh, you know, this week in particular. Uh, you know, we, we, we understand that she's, we're told that, that, that she's always tough on the writing and that she's tough on everybody. But this week in particular, uh, uh, she is in overdrive uh, just because, as we learn throughout the film, what she calls this patch of ground, that the postage stamp size, you would not believe how small that set is. Um, uh, uh, the, the Ricardo's living room, that's where everything works. Um, that's where she is adored by the man she's in love with. Uh, so she just needs that to be good. Uh, and that's why she's a little extra tough this week. Special week because she's accused of being a red for checking a box during the Depression when her stepfather, who was believed in the working people's rights, was communist as many people were. She checked a box. That's the beginning and the end of it. As she says, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die standing up. I'm not going to lie. And say I checked the wrong box. So that week's happening. The same week his confidential. So they both have stories in the press. And Ricky keeps trying to say, your story's not true like my story's not true. And she keeps saying, no, but I think your story is, my, my, <laughs> my, story's, my story's kind of true because I did check the box. And I think your story's kind of true. That right. you cheated on me. Yeah, they've got that moment in her uh, uh, dressing room, uh, you know, when Desi is, is basically trying to say, hey, it's just, all nonsense. It's all gossip. It's all fake news. Um, uh, is what he's saying. You know, I just heard Sunday night. I just heard Walter Winchell call you a communist. <laughs> that was true. Um, uh, so, to, what we find out at the end uh, is that it what was on the cover of Confidential magazine was eating at her more than than the communism thing. That even when J. Edgar Hoover lets her off the hook, it's because she's found that handkerchief. Let's talk about some of your amazing choices as a director because your writing and your directing go together. But let's talk about you as a director because I think this has really elevated, in my view, not, I think your directing. Um, you. I think it's extraordinary. What a smart choice to hear them before you get to see them, right? Because I always thought, how are we going to buy anybody? Because at some time I was talking to Jennifer Lawrence about it. Or, how are you going to believe? And I do think Nicole is perfect because she has the maturity and the carriage of a mature woman who knows that depth of power, that depth of heartbreak, that depth of yearning. It's, she's extraordinary. As is, you've got extraordinary performances out of her and, and Javier and uh, JK and, and uh, Ethel. Who's play, who plays Ethel? Uh, Nina Ariana plays Vivian Vance, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and I agree that uh, uh, they're all fantastic. That choice that you're talking about, how do we introduce the audience to Lucy uh, and Desi? Uh, it was actually a... a, a it's actually a writing choice. Uh, just in, in, let's make it a directing choice. Okay, right? I'll make it a directing choice. It, uh, to help uh, you you're out right. I, I should know my audience. Um, it's like the camera. The camera didn't see them. 
didn't, could only see their legs. And the so screenplay we, didn't work at all. I, I fixed it on... <laughs> somehow I knew instinctively that these two people are so iconic um, and people have, uh, and I mean, I discovered this when word got out that, that I was writing it. People have an intense relation. There are some people who have an intense relationship uh, to, not to Lucy and Desi, to Lucy and Ricky, and to Lucy and Ethel. And uh, they have a very hard time separating these characters. Uh, so we were going to see two actors and two actors who we're familiar with playing these two iconic people who we're familiar with. And just instinctively, I knew that there had to be some kind of rollout process. So I kept the camera on the radio where we knew, I mean, there's portent there. Uh, uh, we knew Winchell was going to call her a communist. It's just a matter of when. And just decided to have Lucy and Desi, they'll walk in and out of the frame. We'll see a hand. It'll be out of focus. Uh, we'll hear their voices. And by the time we get to Winchell saying that uh, the most popular of all television stars um, uh, had to confront her membership in the Communist Party, uh, and they're, they're having makeup sex on the couch, that's when we cut there. Of course, that's your reveal yeah. of them. Yeah. So because they fight and they do the other thing. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, Westinghouse... Westinghouse. Westinghouse. Yeah. That's such a great Ricky Ricardo, Desi Arnaz moment. Um, she's the person who's accused of being a communist that lives with a husband who left a communist country. And so you lead to the most amazing scene. I'm going to jump ahead where she says, but I didn't check the wrong box. I checked the wrong box. I did not check the wrong box. I checked the box I wanted to check. I'm not going to lie. He says, when your father's thrown in jail in a communist country, believe me, you checked the wrong box. And he yeah. means it from the depths of his soul. He That's says, very powerful. He, Javier, uh, uh, Javier was phenomenal, wonderful uh, uh, to work with. But when he says, uh, I was chased to this country, Lucy, uh, it, it was coming from his socks. Uh, you know, he, he got it. All right, so I'm going to go through some of your directorial choices here because we are at the Directors Guild. Yeah. Um, Oh, so many notes here. So much stuff I want to talk to you about. So he makes us beg to see them. We have to listen to them first. So we get used to hearing them first. And then we're like, come on, I really want to see them. If he just gets of just giving them to us, where we can then go, I don't know if she looks like Lucy. We have to hear them, get used to their voices. Then we see them. Now we're in. We're in. We're, we're, we're buying it. We're buying it. And what a powerful performance by both of them, Nicole. And what a power couple, how they ran the show. You make every, you show us the depth of things that on the surface I, I might skim past. Okay, he's a heel of a husband. Okay, they ran a show. You say, no, wait a minute. What does this really mean to live inside of this? So you go inside of that. All she wants is a home, but she can't get her husband to be home. So the set is her home. That's right. Um, and, uh, th th listen, these two, yes, she has a heel of a husband who cheats on her. Um, and when I said yes, just that I didn't mean to, to, to shrug it off like big deal. Um, uh, it was a very big deal, but these two were passionately in love with each other till the day they died. Um, uh, Desi remarried and he, <laughs> the woman he remarried was Lucy Standen. Um, 
they loved each other till uh, uh, till the day they died. Uh, and uh, it, it's just tragic that they couldn't get it together uh, to make it work, that there was kind of a Shakespearean fracture in each one. Um, home became, you know, I started reading more and more. Uh, there, you know, there are a dozen or so books written about them. Most of them aren't very good uh, because they were written for I Love Lucy fans. Uh, so they're, they're, they're gentle. There's not going to be any bad news in there except for one book, and it's Desi's autobiography. Uh, it's called A Book by Desi Arnaz. And um, he's a great storyteller. Uh, you get the feeling that, you know, there was a stiff drink next to the typewriter uh, as he was working. He doesn't mind uh, going to those dark places. So I started reading more and more about uh, – how Lucy yearned for uh, a domesticated life. I mean, she loved being an actress. She loved doing the show. But she also, as she said, she wants a home, uh, family, and dinner time. And that just wasn't able to happen because Desi was on the road all the time. And even when he was home, he needed that time that JK explains to us, that time where he's not second banana. Uh, to somebody where he can be Desi. That's a great, that leads to a great scene with uh, J.K. Simmons it's, uh, trying to explain to Lucy what Ricky's point of view is. She, she says, do you know, she says Ricky runs the show, which we see many, Desi does, excuse me. We see many scenes where he does, where he, he confronts the room, confronts the writers, confronts the network, confronts the audience and the reporters on behalf of her Red Scare in a fantastic bit of theater. And he says to her, does he know that you say that? Right. Um, uh, how, how many people? You, well, you, you, yes, uh, uh, Lucy does a whole speech about how much Desi does, um, uh, and you know, and on top of everything else, he's getting laughs at the table read on Monday, uh, and it takes me until Friday. Uh, and and J.K. Bill Frawley says, uh, uh, "How many people know that?" You tell so many stories so deftly. He tells us the story of her past, how they met, the best morning after line ever. May I lose your phone? Uh, I need to call my fiance. Hi, I don't love you. You don't love me. So I'm going to get my stuff out of there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I love you. No, not really. Though. But not okay, really. Not yeah. really yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. You, you have a frankness and a truthfulness in your, in your directing and your writing. And it's in Nicole's performance and Javier's performance. She's such a powerhouse of no nonsense. She speaks the truth so many times in the movie, so bluntly to so many people who are dismissing her or trying to get around her or trying to assume that she's, she's not as smart as she is. And she deals with them in a straight, frank, and funny manner. Someone says, are you being funny? No, I'm Lucille Ball. You'll know when I'm being funny. Yeah. Um, listen, she was a very strong woman, a very tough woman. She was the most powerful person in television, but even as the most powerful person in television, uh, she had to deal with being a woman in a, a, a world that was controlled by men. Uh, she would ultimately have her revenge on RKO, uh, who you know dropped her. An incredible sequence by buying RKO. So, so there you are in old Hollywood with her being in a Damon Runyon movie being called in, saying, oh, I've never been to the president's office before. It's not the president's office. Yeah, it's the head of production. The office. Well, oh, that's close enough for me. Gets in there. Can I call you Lucy? Yeah. You can, uh, can, what can I call you, Charlie? You can call me Betsy after how great that performance was. Get to the end of the scene after he's dropped her, and she says, why don't you try radio? And she says, don't you dare say that to me. 
Betsy. Right, right. Yeah, you did. By the way, that movie, uh, Big Street, um, uh, I recommend it. It, it's a good movie. I recommend no other movies that uh, Lucy did, uh, uh, but but I recommend that one. She has a good role in a Spencer Tracy Catherine Hepburn movie that I like. But as yeah. she says, she sticks her head in the frame and says something bitchy and then yeah. gets out, right? Uh, she was, listen, she was just underestimated for uh, for a long time. She was 41 when she first started doing I Love Lucy, uh, the part that would make her famous. When women say they don't get parts after a certain age and Susan Sarandon couldn't get into Bull Durham, she said she wouldn't consider her. She was too old. So she went over to the studio in a very specific dress. And by the time she left, she had the part, you know. And um, that's, you know, it's, Lucy created her own work. And she said, I am the greatest asset of the Columbia Broadcasting yeah. Service. Yes. Yeah. And as she said. First pregnancy on television. There's going to be an eight episode arc and Lucy's going to have a baby on television. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah first, first time there was a pregnant woman uh, on television. They weren't allowed to say the word uh, pregnant. She was expecting. And as John Rubenstein, who plays the older uh, Bob Carroll, says that more people watched the birth of little Ricky than had ever watched a television show before. Uh, and it was twice the audience. It Little Ricky was born the day after Eisenhower was inaugurated. And uh, she, they got twice the audience that uh, Eisenhower got. Here's, here's a bit of directorial flourish. When do we get the treat of the black and white? Very sparingly. And when you get it, you're, it's breathtaking. <gasps> she really does look like her. She looks just like her. And he looks just like him. And you give it to us, which is a very smart directorial choice. And you do it in the character of Lucy, as portrayed so well by Nicole. She says, hold on, I'm seeing it. Lucy goes to Italy. And Ricky says, no, they don't go to Italy. They go to the Grand Canyon. Ricky's behind on his taxes. No. Ricky's a, good, Rick, he's, Ricky's a good American. He pays yeah. his taxes. Um, uh, and as far as, you know, the, the black and white, no, holy cow, now she looks like uh, uh, Lucy Ricardo. That was a lot of fun. I was really taken uh, uh, during the research process, during the writing process, with the fact that Lucille Ball doesn't look like Lucille Ball in the same way that Charlie Chaplin doesn't look like Charlie Chaplin, right? You're asked to think of Charlie Chaplin, you think of the little tramp. Charlie Chaplin didn't look anything like that. Uh, I, I had access to home movies uh, from Lucy Arnaz, uh, their daughter. And you see them sitting by the pool. And Lucy looks like Rita Hayworth. Uh, she doesn't look... you. A, a woman couldn't be sexy on television uh, back then. Not, not, not a hint of, uh, of sexiness. And that's... <sighs> It's one of the reasons why it was important to Lucy that there be some kind of physical difference between Lucy Ricardo and Ethel Mertz. Um, uh, Because Vivian Vance also was a beautiful, glamorous uh, actress uh, cast as the frumpy Ethel Mertz. In fact, I remember Francine Maisler was our casting director. And when I wanted Nina Arianda, uh, I told Francine, be sure that Nina's agent knows that I'm not, I don't think of her as Ethel Mertz. I, I think of her as Vivian Vance. That's, that, that, that's what I want her for. Um, but uh, so back to uh, the black and white and Lucy looking like uh, uh, Lucy Ricardo. If you're in color uh, enough and her hair is down um, and there is a sexiness to her, there's, kind of, there's a sexiness to her power. Uh, and then suddenly 
we're in her head. She's picturing what's going on at the table read. And now she's in that sort of severe hairdo and, and it's black and white and she's in a Lucy Ricardo dress. It is striking and, and, and we're ready to accept her now as Lucy Ricardo. But I love the long sequences where Nicole has her hair up like Lucy and she's walking, she's behaving outside the show with that hairdo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometimes uh, with Nicole, you only need to give her like one physical uh, adjustment and suddenly the whole scene will come pouring out of her. In the scene, for instance, where they're telling the executives that she's pregnant, I just had her sit in Desi's chair behind Desi's desk with her uh, uh, feet up on the, uh, on the desk and just having her feet up on the desk, having to deal with these guys, it, like I said, the, the whole scene came out of uh, the both of them. They already knew that they were going to win this, um, right? She's not going to not be pregnant uh, anymore and they're not going to pull I love Lucy off the air. Um, and if they push too hard, Desi's going to dictate a telegram to Arthur Lyons at Philip Mars uh, saying, look, uh, you know, we brought you the number one show. If you guys are going to tell us what we what not to do, you're also going to have to tell us what to do, starting with this week's show. So who's got a script? But what's brilliant about the storytelling is that you go around the mountain several times on their past, on their marital issues, on her communist past, on uh, how they manage the show how they're blocking the episode, uh, what she's looking for as a comedic genius in the blocking of the episode, mm-hmm. having the argument with the network about the pregnancy. They go around that mountain about five times, and we learn something deeper every time. Each time we learn more than we did the, the previous time. Yeah, you have to. Um, you know, part of the law of storytelling. And uh, uh, I also needed to, <clears throat> I knew I was going to have to use, or that I was going to want to use flashbacks. Uh, because I was going to want to see everything start out great, that fantastic first date of theirs that goes very uh, romantically. And then the very first fracture in the relationship when they meet at on top of Mulholland uh, and, uh, you know, Lucy is complaining because they don't have enough time together. And Desi says, well, you can come down to the club uh, and watch the show more. She points out that she just had a movie open on Friday. You really want me coming to the club? Yeah, why not? Okay, watch what happens. Um, uh, and of course, she draws all the attention at the club. Uh, in fact, um, that night shooting those, there are two scenes outside the stage door at Ciro's. Uh, the first one showing you what happens when it's just Desi and there are all kinds of beautiful women there and all the guys uh, uh, in the orchestra and bottles of champagne. And then the next time it's with Lucy and everybody immediately gravitates uh, uh, to Lucy and Lucy hands her purse uh, to Desi. Uh, and Javier said, I've held the purse a lot. I know how to do this. Um, uh, and uh, Nicole said, yes, so is Keith. Um, so everybody knew how to do that scene. <laughs> tell, tell, tell me a little bit more about directing Nicole and Javier and JK and, and uh, Ethel. Tell me about directing all this. Okay, people. well, aside from the fact that it, it was an absolute pleasure, uh, we, we really had a good time. And um, uh, you know, you, you, you let world-class actors go and point a camera at them and good things are going to happen. Uh, I remember, as he said, we had, it was a 39 day shoot. Two of those days were for the I love Lucy sequences. 
And I had carved out on the first of those two days, I had carved out three or four hours where I assumed that Nicole and I would just sit in front of a monitor, a playback monitor that would have the I Love Lucy episode. And we'd do it by inches, you know. Okay, she puts her right hand on the mantelpiece, turns to Ethel and says the line. And Nicole showed up knowing every inch of it already. That's what she had spent months doing uh, was was memorizing uh, uh, every moment of those I Love Lucy scenes. And also, I had told them all uh, in, in our first Zoom meeting, I, I told them all, I am not looking for an impersonation uh, of these people. I'm not looking for Elvis impersonators up there. Play the characters that are in the script. That when we do the I Love Lucy moments, you are going to have to take a nod uh, uh, toward these people because those are going to be frame-by-frame recreations uh, of the show. Um, and I told Nicole, all I need from her are two different voices. Uh, Lucy Ricardo's voice about an octave above uh, Lucille Ball's voice. Um, I, and I don't know whether Nicole actually started smoking a ton of cigarettes, uh, but she sure sounded uh, uh, like she did. And, and that was it. What about Javier? Javier. Uh, you know, actors know that um, uh, if they're asked if they can ride a horse, the answer is yes, uh, always. Uh, so Javier and I are, are having our first, what would be our first meeting. It, uh, it was by Zoom. Um, and I, I, I could tell within a minute, I wanted this guy. He is exactly, he is so charming, gregarious, charismatic, funny, warm, and impossible not to love. And that was going to be the most important thing because he was going to break our heart at the end of the movie and we couldn't hate him. Uh, it, the movie wouldn't be right if we hated him uh, because of that. It, it, we have to have our hearts broken. So he had the part within a minute of it. But at the end of the conversation, I said, hey, listen, uh, this isn't a deal breaker, but I just have to ask you, you know, have you ever held a guitar uh, uh, and strummed it? Oh, I've been playing the guitar since I'm five years old. I, uh, I'm a virtuoso. So I, that, that's great. Um, and uh, have, have you ever banged a drum? Banged, I went, I, I, I was a drum banging major at Juilliard. <laughs> And then I said, okay, if I asked your wife, would she say that you're a good dancer? Let me tell you how good a dancer. He was lying the whole time. (laughs) But he then spent the next several months in intense uh, music and dance training uh, while he was shooting um, uh, Little Mermaid somewhere in the middle of the ocean. Um, I could talk about this movie for a very long time. I just want to get a couple of things in before we, we end our time here. Directorially, I think it's brilliant when Nicole is being Lucy, saying, no, I see it. They go to Italy. She's in the great vat. Wait, what does she do when she's in the vat? And then the black and white footage, Lucy just stops staring like this. In the audience waiting, staring back waiting, at her. Waiting to see what she's going to be told to do by Nicole and the writers. And then, and then she says, they go, no, she steps on the grapes. No, she, goes, she loses an earring. And that's the genius, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know. yeah. And, and, and the table. She cuts the flowers. She's cutting the flowers. And I, I, I know we have to uh, uh, wrap this up. So I, I just want to make sure that I say that um, Jeff Cronenworth, uh, our DP, John Hutman, our production designer, Susan Lyle, our costume designer, Alan Baumgarten, our editor, and Daniel Pemberton, our composer, are, consider them co-authors of the film. 
Uh, they just did a phenomenal job. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, guys. David, what a big deal this was for me. Thank you. Thank you all very, very much. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America 